Welcome back to the Recovering SJMR podcast. This podcast delves into the lives and the stories of people who once associated with Sovereign Grace churches. We discuss heavy topics such as abuse and spiritual trauma, so viewer discretion is advised. We will also share stories of victory and the freedom we have experienced after leaving Sovereign Grace Ministries. If you have any questions or want to share your story, please contact us at recoveringsgmer at gmail.com. Hey everyone, welcome back to Recovering SGMer. It's Katie and our favorite divorce vigilante, Jessica. <laughs> that's me. That's, I love, that's like, I should save your name like that on my phone, divorce vigilante. Yes. Sure, that's <laughs> fine. That's totally fine. And we have Carrie Dawkins on with us today. Hello, Carrie. Hello. Hi. Happy to be here. This is so serious. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm excited to be here. I'm really, really grateful for you guys and the work that you're doing in making this podcast. I know it's a ton of work and behind the scenes, there's just a lot that goes on into it. So, um, yeah, I just really appreciate the work Thank you guys you. And letting me be part of it. So, oh, sure. Oh, no course. problem. You were actually one of, when we, when Jessica and I were discussing, oh, who should we ask? Come on. If we restart it. Yeah. She's like, Carrie, we have to have Carrie. And I was like, oh yeah, that's a good idea. Like, oh my yeah. gosh. So thank She's you for coming on. She's got stuff to say. Totally. I got some tea. So. You've got some tea? <laughs> As the kids nice. say. I've never heard that before until Jessica, you started saying that. And I was like, what? I do. What is she? I'm too old to know the lingo. Jessica, what a millennial. I am very much so. Yeah, spilling the tea, pouring the tea, Love all that it. stuff. That's what we're doing today. Yeah. Carrie, do you want to just start out by a quick overview of how did you hear about Sovereign Grace and what church did you start out at? Maybe I started going to Sovereign Grace. My husband and I started going to Sovereign Grace in uh, 2003. I was 21. He was 23. We were newly engaged. We were part of a church that was kind of falling apart. And that's a whole other story. But yeah, so we we had heard about Sovereign Grace from some people that we trusted who had highly recommended the church. And so, yeah, we were just kind of looking for a church community, like as we were kind of starting our lives together, you know. So we started going to the Sovereign Grace Church in Gilbert, where Rich Richardson was and is the pastor. You guys may have mentioned him before. Maybe just a little before. bit. Yeah. A little bit. I don't know. You know. <laughs> that guy. Well, for people listening, it's not all about Rich today, so that's good. <laughs> it was right around the time that I think he just started off as the senior pastor there. Mm-hmm. But he was mm-hmm. kind of new-ish. Yeah, and something that stood out to me when we talked before is, and I think he said this as well, is Rich, like you, you guys remember him being, at the beginning at least, like, Maybe he actually cared and was kind of being okay, doing a good job at being a pastor. I thought he was a really good pastor. Mm -hmm. He was super down to earth. He was just like a Mm -hmm. regular person. Like he, Mm -hmm. I mean, we had some conversations with him where he seemed to see some of the issues that were in the church and he wanted like some of the legal stuff and he really wanted to address that stuff and help. He was, yeah, he was really kind, really caring. And like Mm -hmm. our experience at the church was really good in the beginning. We were part of a Mm -hmm. fun small group young married people and had a, yeah he just hung out all the time and laughed a lot and it was great so it wasn't until later that the red flags started to pop or that I saw yeah and I remember him coming in like oh no I want and like you had said this to Carrie of like oh I want to fix that like the whole yeah. weird homeschooling vibe and yeah. all that like no no like this is this is the gospel and all that stuff so he definitely came in with a sort of yeah 
good intentions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> at first. <laughs> yeah. I just, that stuck out to me because I guess I hadn't really heard that yet. So that's good to know. Well, it doesn't really matter, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> But, it's important um, to point out yeah, exactly. that evil <laughs> pastors, evil, evil narcissistic pastors don't always start out that way. Back when I've in the past, like said things about different pastors that if I've spoken out about that, where people will say, well, that's not my experience with them. Oh, sure. yeah. I'm like, right. That was oh, my experience yeah. either until it was. And so right. just because right. you're having a good experience with somebody doesn't mean that to somebody else, they're not being yeah. the person like they are with right. you or yeah. whatever. So your experience totally other people's experiences so absolutely yeah. they absolutely. say that a lot i feel like a lot of <laughs> yes. people, you know it's a favorite favorite yeah, comment yeah and it, it sure <laughs> is yeah but yeah. it's so invalidating i just i hate that yeah again evil people aren't evil people 100 percent of the time <laughs> they're gonna pick and choose who they're evil to you want to just go ahead and jump right in talking about feminine appeal i would love to talk about feminine appeal I, I know we've got favorite. beef. Yeah. We've got beef with feminine appeal. <laughs> okay. So did you, okay. So did you, I'm assuming once you went to the Gilbert church, then you found out about feminine appeal, obviously since so, it's by oh, Carolyn yes. Maney. Oh yes. yeah. So she, that book came out, I think it was in 2004. So it was okay. really soon after we Mm-hmm. Um, started going to the church right after I got married. So I was like the perfect audience for this book, right? Like I was oh, yeah. totally. really insecure, really like wanting to do marriage the right way. And just my mm-hmm. vision for my life was like, I just want to be a good wife and mom stay home mm-hmm. kids, mm-hmm. and somebody give me a formula that's going to make everything like turn out. Okay. Basically. So um, there were some people who were more than happy to give me that formula. So, um, into the right place. Yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't know how many times I read that book. I probably had it memorized at one point. Like I, Oh my God. Oh wow. Yeah. It was very dedicated. Really. Yeah. (laughs) Really good. To be fair, everyone at the time, that was like the best seller in Saturday. I have. Oh, I have. I have. Our small group leader made all the women in that, in the small group read it. I was like, oh, 16, 17 at the time. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? But (laughs) again, I'm like, okay, I guess this is what, like, yeah, being a church godly woman because I didn't have any like experience mm. with like what a godly relationship was supposed yeah. to be. So right. I'm like, okay, this is like what Carrie said: young, insecure of like, okay, I guess this is the standard. All these people are telling mm-hmm. me it is. <laughs> so yeah. I guess I'll listen. You know, right? Yeah, and I think too, like, there's a whole thing in Sovereign Grace. Like, women are are very much discouraged from studying the Bible, like the whole Bible, mm. like going in depth, studying the Bible. So it was like stu- biblical womanhood is what we're allowed to talk about, <laughs> think sure. about. So this really is like the Bible. Deep dive in that. Girls. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. it was, I mean, that's really how we talked about it. Like I have hidden feminine appeal in my heart. And like, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. That's how it was at the time, at least for me. So um, she calls in that book, she says, Basically, she claims that the book is based on Titus 2. But when she says Titus 2, she just means three verses in Titus 2. Titus 2, 3 through 5 is the plumb line for women straight from Holy Scripture. 
Mm. And the um, sub- subtitle of the book was Seven Virtues of a Godly Wife and Mother. So it was like, this is the part of the Bible that's for you. Like, just focus mm-hmm. on this. This is what God has to say to you. And mm-hmm. I realized, I didn't think about this until later, but um, this book was endorsed by every pastor and pastor's wife that I knew. Oh, yeah. John and Noel Pepper, oh, yeah. Mark Dever and mm-hmm. his wife, Randy Alcorn and his wife, obviously CJ Mahaney. These pastors mm-hmm. and theologians who claim mm-hmm. to have a high view of scripture and mm-hmm. are very, very precise in how they fill scripture with this book, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. they did not do that. Like, it was just, it was shocking to me later to realize, why was this endorsed by them? Like, they should have known. Mm-hmm. So basically what she did in the book is she just proof texts the those verses, which means she takes it out of their context to support her own agenda. Mm-hmm. So she doesn't get into the historical cultural context, the literary context. Mm-hmm. He doesn't talk about the city of Crete, which is where, like, this is a huge part of the book. So later, like much later, I went back and studied the whole book of Titus and realized how much of this was just completely ripped out of its context. Like just mm-hmm. openly, she's just doing this. And these mm-hmm. men who... This, this book would never have been published if it was any other verse, but because it was supporting this patriarchal ideal mm-hmm, of the mm-hmm. womanhood, they yeah. either looked the other way or they were like, I mean, I don't know. I don't know why they allowed it, but it's... Yeah. It fits their agenda. It exactly. fits their agenda of patriarchal nonsense. It fits the misogyny that's, yeah. I mean, totally encompasses sovereign grace, like community cult-like mindset and like their toxic theology so yeah it makes sense to me because that's what (laughs) that's what they want yeah for their for their win yeah so okay so what were you guys supposed to do for um this uh devotions if you guys weren't really supposed to like read the bible it was this was something that I had consistently in my time in Sovereign Grace was more and more mostly like once I started having babies and yeah. the biblical mm-hmm. womanhood thing didn't cut it anymore. And like, <laughs> I, like postpartum depression and like really oh, yeah. like okay, just telling me to like organize my kitchen better is not helping mm-hmm. me. <laughs> like right, I right. More and then yeah. yeah. Gradually, kind of over time, like I started digging into the Bible more and was like, oh my mm-hmm. gosh, this is amazing. Like but that was always discouraged because it's the pastor's job to teach the church and it's the husband's job to teach the wife. So right. if I want to study the Bible, right. then Keith is called into question because yeah. he must not be leading me well if, right. if I want to study. I don't know. So it was just, that was always very suspect. That's weird. Whenever I would bring it's like up. under his eye. Yeah. Did you have that too, Jessica? <laughs> um, I would say it was, I think... It wasn't as explicit, but it was definitely yeah. very implied gotcha. within the women of that community. So if you were hmm. to ask Rich outright of like, what, women can't read scripture? He'd be like, no, no, right. like, yeah. no, 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 that's not right. what we're saying, yeah. blah, 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 little comment. But if, but the community of women in that church mm. for sure def- defer, and I saw this with, I think like most of my friends when it came to theological thought or theological positions, opinions, whatever, they would defer to their husbands. It wasn't explicit, but it was definitely hmm. implied. And I would agree with Carrie's um, 
experience yeah. in that for sure. That's so, it's just weird. It was more explicit in Denver. I think it oh, wasn't okay. as that makes sense. extreme in Gilbert, but definitely no. noticed that. By the time, towards the end yeah. of my time in Denver, I was leading a secret underground Bible study that I couldn't let the pastors know about because I would get in trouble. And they actually did find out about it. Keith got in trouble because they didn't talk to me. They would only talk to Keith. But, right. Oh, they did find out about it? Yeah. Oh yeah, my gosh. I, mean, I knew I was going to get in trouble for it, so I had to keep it secret. <laughs> to tell you that's so insane. That's just, so insane. Yeah, yeah. It insane, is. insane. The girls that were in that study were super fun, but yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> I'm sure it was. I'm yeah. sure it was super fun. Probably, like, yeah, I probably joined that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. If it's all women and we could just talk about whatever we want in the Bible, like <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, um, yeah, so with, back to feminine appeal. Yeah. Feminine appeal. Yeah. So I just wanted to say like with the stuff about like historical context, literary context, yeah. this is like mm-hmm. a sick Bible interpretation. Like mm-hmm. later on when I studied it, it's like, okay, I'm a, I work full time. I'm a mom. I'm doing this on my lunch breaks and weekends. And I figured this out. These guys are getting paid a lot of money to work full time at yeah. studying the Bible. How did they not do this? And so, yeah, mm-hmm. that was just really interesting to me later to realize. But the verses themselves that she pulls out of the context to try to manipulate it to make it say biblical womanhood, mm-hmm. it, I think of it as like Handmaid's Tale. I really love Handmaid's Tale because I think it's such a good picture of oh, so good of what this is. I've never seen it. Oh, you need to. Well, it, yeah. maybe I just want it might be too triggering, but I don't <laughs> know if you guys be, watch I know, it. I, I probably could. Yeah. For me, it's cathartic (laughs) to watch because it's so extreme version of what I experienced. But I know for a lot of people, it's not good. And so it's whatever. But um, but in Handmaid's Tale, they take out this verse from the Old Testament. They build a whole system out of it that hurts Mm -hmm. people and keeps women oppressed. And Mm -hmm. it's just such a good picture of like, if you don't handle scripture the right way and are careful, then you can end up like, ruining people and i think in a less extreme version that's what they've done with biblical womanhood they have ripped it absolutely the context of like the historical context of titus like the greco-roman culture was very much like they thought of women as the worst plague that zeus ever created they believed like hippocrates believed that a woman's uterus would like wander around inside her body and press up against her organs and make her crazy basically oh my god she was incapable of rational thought and so they would just women just stayed home then like they didn't have the option to like climb the corporate ladder or have a career they just stayed home totally so when paul is saying be busy at home he's emphasizing like hey you're home don't just like get drunk and gossip about your neighbors, but like work hard and be kind to people and and do not that. saying home just... your kids and stay home and don't have a career or whatever you know. So right. <laughs> this weird stuff well, that and like, it into. And why is it that like in biblical femininity or whatever in conservative evangelical circles, like the only two scriptures that you hear about are Titus 2, like what Carrie's talking about, and like Proverbs 31, mm-hmm. and like the rest of scripture like does not apply like, yeah. to, to women. Our gender is the most important thing about us. Exactly, exactly. Like, and so that's obviously painful too, of just like you know, kind of what you said, it's this, all this internalized 
misogyny that that then creeps out and is spiritually damaging to women in the church. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, like, it was just so interesting going back into like the Greco-Roman culture and seeing like, so they believed it was the man's job to think and work. And it was the woman's job to like make a home for him. That's like a restful space for him to come after a long day of work. And I was like, that's biblical womanhood. <laughs> like, that's what I'm being taught that it's my husband's mm-hmm. job to work. And it's, and I mean, she even quotes Doug Wilson in the book yeah. saying the man is called to the task. The woman is called to the man. Like it's, so it's just so interesting that what Paul mm-hmm. is contrasting in Titus two of this misogyny and this patriarchy, he's actually contrasting that by speaking to women and saying, what you do matters. You are valuable. Mm. The fact that he's even addressing them at all is revolutionary for the time. But what they're teaching now that they're saying comes out of Titus 2 is the opposite. That looks more like the pagan culture around Titus yeah. and Paul yeah. than it does Paul's actually yeah, saying It's there. a very toxic understanding of that view, very, that they would hold. Do you know the seven categories off the top of your head? Um, love your husbands and children. That's two. Be kind, self-controlled, you're busy at home and submit to your own husband. Oh, geez, you do have them. Okay. I, I was about to I say. just want to test you out for a second. <laughs> see if this is legit. <laughs> she passed. And she like, passed. Flying conservative colors. evangelical woman. <laughs> it's, you know, too, is that she, then each one of those things is a chapter in the book, and then she interprets each of those things of here's what that looks like specifically, mm-hmm. and this is how. Mm-hmm. And with purity, she interprets that, of course, as just have sex with your husband whenever he wants and mm-hmm. only think about sex when it's about your husband or whatever. Yeah. And mm-hmm. this was something that later on I realized, it's like, oh, this is really, really bad, is that one of the things she says is like, you know, maybe it's a struggle for you to have sex because you've been abused. And I would just encourage you to talk to your pastor and your pastor's wife about that. Not a therapist who is nope. and understands trauma and all of those dynamics, but go to your pastor and tell his wife. And, and then he has this story. So she tells this story about this woman named Blenda who experienced this like horrific childhood sexual abuse. And then this is what she says about her. Upon her conversion, Blenda experienced a joy and peace such as she had never known. Despite the anguish of her situation, Blenda's testimony is of the redeeming power of Christ. Glenda says, sexual defilement of a child is a monstrous sin, and the rape of a child's spirit is on equal footing. The damage from either would appear irreversible. But as Dr. David Jeremiah has said, our God has the power to reverse the irreversible. It is true, for I have tasted of his cure from both, and it fills me with a longing for him that the happiest of childhoods could not have given. Then Carolyn says, the cure that Glenda refers to is the cross of Christ. Glenda says, he showed me Calvary once more. I saw the horror of my sin, nailing him, nailing the son of God to that miserable cross, torturing him, mocking him, spitting on him. Yet he had forgiven me freely. No one had committed such atrocities against me. How could I do anything less than forgive? Forgiveness came and with it came healing, complete peace and freedom, absolute freedom to serve my God and to enjoy his love and peace now and forevermore. So Gross. saying that the cure for sexual abuse right. is to shame yourself, to see yeah. yourself as the worst sinner in the world because you nailed mm-hmm. to the cross mm-hmm. and don't complain about it. So no one else has sinned against you more than you've sinned against Jesus. So basically right. shut up and forgive and yeah. 
you know, and it's the whole like better than I deserve thing. Like, yeah. TJ Mahoney would always say better than I deserve better because I deserve hell. <laughs> I'm so filthy and evil and wicked. Mm-hmm. So I deserve eternal torment. So anything better than yeah. that is just mercy. So my sexual yeah. is mercy because yeah. it's better than what I actually deserve. Yeah. It's spiritual bypassing at uh-huh. its finest, which <laughs> biblical counselors are very good at. And it's um, damaging. Yeah. So um, damaging. I don't understand when I'm assuming when she says rape of a child's spirit, that is referencing rape. Is that correct? I have no idea what rape. Because it doesn't really make sense. Like, doesn't, yeah, that's a weird way to say that. Okay. I think I don't, I don't know. I think she was probably trying to be extreme in her language to captivate mm. her audience into being like, oh, oh my gosh, oh, Carolyn. Yeah. <laughs> I resonate with that or whatever. And it's just bullshit that sounds spiritual. It sounds like, oh yeah, Jesus. Oh, okay. But you're really emotionally and spiritually bypassing your healing process by Mm -hmm. just being what Carrie is saying of like, well, but, but better than I deserve. Well, but Jesus, I'm like, well, yeah, but you know, (laughs) you're a holistic person. You're not just a spiritual person. You have, there's physical things that happen Mm -hmm. to a sexually abused victim that affects their body and it affects their emotional state and their psychological state. And you're only talking about the spiritual element, Mm -hmm. which is not even, I mean, the obsession of forgiveness could be an entire podcast in and of itself. It's like forgive first and (laughs) then, then that solves all your problems. Don't be angry. That's the worst. I mean, he promises absolute freedom and complete healing and all of this by just Imagine yeah. yourself nailing Jesus to the cross. I think right. it's incredibly it's, spiritually abusive to use the cross absolutely to silence an abuse victim and then to shoot right. them. And absolutely. essentially saying like, well, it's you're you're just a bad person, whatever, which Right. Yeah. And so if you're so then it's like, okay, so then fast forward however many years. No wonder there's a whole sexual abuse epidemic and cover-up going totally. on in Sovereign Grace because it's oh it's yeah that it happened. And I believe the victims, I believe that that happened. But this whole environment that cultivates this thing where like abuse victim, like how likely are you to come forward and mm. say, hey, somebody abused me when you're being told it's better than you deserve. And like, right. how mm. likely are you to ask and to forgive yourself? Right. And to forgive and, immediately. Right. Don't be angry. That's not okay. Yeah. Right. So all of the accounts yeah. of people who are saying like, yeah, I was a five-year-old or however you much you're old, like forced to sit down with my abuser and forgive him in these church meetings. I absolutely believe them because I'm yeah. like, that is consistent with the culture that I know Sovereign Grace cultivated. Right, right. So, and you see it in tech. In the, agreed. Right. Well, could yeah. go to, so you were in Sovereign Grace Gilbert, um, and then you moved to Denver. What about like what you've read and Feminine yeah. Appeal and then, and all that, and then your experience in Denver, share share with us about that yeah there's so much that I oh yeah time to say but yeah um made some YouTube videos and talked more in depth about like what we experienced and yes some of the craziness that was happening so if you want any anyone that's listening um if you want to hear really in-depth bullshit Mm -hmm. uh that happened at the Denver church that these criminals did, I call them criminals, I don't give a fuck, Um, (laughs) that Tony Walsh, Glenn McKenzie, and then Pete Payne did to Keith and Carrie, go to Keith's YouTube. We'll link it in the description or whatever it's called. 
so that there'll be easy access. We were, so we were in Sovereign Grace Gilbert for like 10 years. Um, Keith told Rich like from day one that he wanted to be a pastor. Long story short, nothing happened with that for like eight years. And then he was in that pastor evaluation group you guys were talking about with Dallas. Um, <laughs> and then like two years after that, um, he presented us with this opportunity for Keith to take an 18 month internship and work with Glenn McKenzie, who used to be a pastor at the Gilbert Church. We were not huge fans of Glenn's when he was in Gilbert. There were some concerning things. He was mm-hmm. really arrogant, really controlling. There, I wasn't really, I wasn't aware of this at the time, but I guess he was kind of starting a lot of controversy in Gilbert. And I don't know. Do you remember that, Jess? Like, but yeah, I mean, I've heard that he was a really strict dude because my sister worked at the church at the time. And so she would mm-hmm. share stuff of like, yeah, he's real. But that was the only category that we had. Right. At the yeah. time was like, oh, he's very strict, very regimented, <laughs> yeah. which now we know is like, oh, no, he's like super controlling and yeah. like kind of an asshole. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, I heard a little bit about it, but. Yeah. So I wasn't super, I didn't interact with him a ton in Gilbert, but mm-hmm. I did enough to mm-hmm. go, mm, this guy kind of rubs me the wrong way. I don't know. So we shared our sure. with Rich about him. And Rich said, no, mm-hmm. no, he's changed now. Being a senior pa- So Rich sent him to be the senior pastor of the Denver Church of, in Westminster, Colorado. So he mm-hmm. was like, he's different now. Everything's good. So we're like, okay, well, yeah, living in Denver sounds great. It'll be an adventure. We were really excited. And so, so yeah, so we moved to Denver and we loved it. Like, we still love. Like, we still, oh, like, sure. think back on that time like in a lot of ways is being like, man, that was, I just loved living in Denver and like the city mm-hmm. and the climate. Um, mm-hmm. And like some of my closest friends came out yeah. of that church. So again, it was like, you know, like in Gilbert where it's like at the beginning, it was like, there's a lot of really good stuff here. But then pretty soon after we got there, it became really clear that Glenn was not a changed man. And he was actually mm-hmm. worked because he was the only pastor. So no one, he had a leadership team of just yes men who never challenged him. Right. Yep. They like to do that. And there were so many people in the church that were being spiritually abused by him. And the more that we got mm-hmm. to know and love the people there, the more, I don't know, just mm-hmm. like hearing their stories, it was sure really sad to see. Of course. Yeah. People. So also when we got there, we were told like from day one that we were under evaluation, which meant everyone is watching you. And everyone is judging you to see if Keith is worthy of being a pastor. So under his eye. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, it was oh, at first like, oh, oh sense, like if we're like crazy or, you know, like if there's some like major issues going on, then yeah, you don't want to make him a pastor. But it slowly became clear that like what that meant was we need to fit the mold of pastor, pastor's wife, pastor's children. And it wasn't just like the pastors that were watching us, but they would explicitly tell the congregation, it is your job mm-hmm. to evaluate Keith and Carrie specifically in the areas of marriage and parenting. Mm-hmm. So how big was the church when you got there? I think it was 400 people. Okay. So a decent, like, size. decent size. Yeah. It was pretty big. Yeah. 400 people watching you. Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> so stressful. It, I mean, but. more than stressful. That's hell. Like that's hell. And like that's I have insane. three boys. And so, mm-hmm. you know, boys don't tend to just go to church and sit quietly yeah. and, and act, whatever, you know, like they do what all boys are doing. And so 
if you can share the stuff that they would tell you, mm. like the weird front desk lady and oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's my okay. story. Like what the yeah. fuck? Yeah. <laughs> so seriously, I there were times that like would come up to me after church and I was watching you during worship and you were crying. Is everything okay? I was like, um, I was having a private moment. Or you know, oh, I would be like, yeah. like, yeah, I'm good, thanks. I'm better than I deserve, or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, or like one girl came up to me after Keith was done, he had preached and she came up to me and she was like, I was just watching your face the whole time Keith was talking and you just looked so in love. And I was like, just don't stare at me. Oh my me. gosh. That's <laughs> creepy. Yeah. Right. That's like <laughs> lack of self-awareness on that person's yeah, part. Honestly. Yeah. That's all. She meant it as a compliment. Like she wanted to say like, Oh, good for you or whatever. But it just was like, okay, cool. Good reminder that everyone's watching. Uh, I just, yeah. and it, I remember telling you at one point, like, I just feel like I'm in a glass cage every time I walk in yeah. the mm-hmm. and everyone can see me. I mean, I would like leave early. Like as soon as the prayer was done, mm-hmm. like I was out of there. Like I did not want to, Sit around and just have people linger. So, well, understandably, of yeah, of course. Yeah. So yeah, so I'll get to that story in a second. But um, um, yeah, <laughs> we had regular meetings with um, Glenn and Rebecca, and this is another part of mm. the whole control thing. Like they would meet with us regularly, and it was very much like they were telling me who my friends should be. They were telling me that I needed to homeschool my kids to be an example to the other young moms because literally, this is what Glenn told me all of the young moms in this church are selfish and that's why they want to send their kids to school. So you need oh to homeschool gosh. your kids as an example to the rest of them so that they won't be selfish. No, I think they're being selfish to have that mindset actually. <laughs> like you have to homeschool your kids. That's a selfish thing actually. <laughs> Cause they want control. I hate that. I'm so sorry. I get that too. That's awful. And it was like, I would never tell anyone how to educate your children. That's not my place. And I do not want to be the example for anyone else. Yeah. Like, I don't want to. And he didn't like that. What kind of pastor has that kind of like regard to his own parishioners? Yeah. Where yeah. You're, you're literally telling a pastoral intern and his wife, hey, just so you know, all of these bitches, mm-hmm. like they're so selfish. <laughs> like, oh, what kind of pastor That's, yeah. has, has a very low regard to the women in that church? That's so a good that's point. like a red flag yeah. right there of like, oh, damn, you don't think much of the women in your church, do yeah. you? <laughs> like, totally. Yeah. And then there was another, um, we had like a past, not pastor's wives, uh, like leadership team wives care group. Mm-hmm. And then was, mm-hmm. so with the homeschooling thing, there was one woman there who was just like sobbing because her husband really wanted her to homeschool. She did not want to, she did not feel gifted or called to, and her husband was just a jerk and like, didn't care about that. And yeah. was like, no, you have to homeschool. Yeah. Right. And yeah. she's just breaking down crying, like talking about this. And Rebecca said to her, you need to make your husband's thoughts your thoughts and make his opinions your opinions. Yep. And I just sat there yep. like, what? Myself into yeah. like, yeah, that's yeah. ridiculous. Is absolutely, but it's yeah. that is group think yeah. and mm-hmm. sovereign grace. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So over time, it became more and more clear of like, okay, Glenn is biblically not qualified to be a pastor. Yeah. There's verses in the Bible that I think God has written for our protection of like, okay, you want to be a pastor. You need to be these things again. Like 
for people who claim to have a high view of scripture, who, I mean, like when it's first Timothy two twelve of, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. They love to talk about that and how biblically faithful they are. And that's why they don't have female pastors because they care about what the Bible says. Mm-hmm. But then first Timothy three, seven says he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace. Mm-hmm. So when their pastors are not well thought of by outsiders, suddenly they don't care so much about what the Bible says and about being no. faithful. And so yeah. that was just something I noticed over time of every time Keith and I would say, look, here are the categories. Here are the ways that Glenn is not qualified. And it's consistent. It is characteristic. It is unrepentant. He doesn't see a problem here. And so First Timothy 5.20 says that it's your job to then rebuke him in front of everybody. And they mm-hmm. wouldn't do that. So at this point, so after, so Glenn started to like really spiral a bunch of people leaving the church and saying why, and he didn't handle that well. And it was just, it just got worse and worse and worse. So eventually Tony Walsh comes to the church. And then after, I don't know, I think it was like maybe a year or so after that, that Pete Payne came to the church. Mm-hmm. And so when Tony came, we were like, okay, great. Like we have some help. Things will get better. Did you know um, Tony at all before he came? No. I'm assuming no. Yeah. Okay. No, he goes way back. I guess he was really close with Brent Detweiler. Like yes, way, yeah, way yeah, back. Yeah. So he's an old from schooler. The, and from the Vancouver church where mm-hmm. they like kicked him out or whatever. Yeah. Sovereign grace sellout or whatever. Kicked out of the church. Yeah. And then, oh, you know Just what? Go somewhere Let's else. add this. Let's add this guy into our church. That's... Like, <laughs> I don't know what these people are thinking. Yeah, he w- he was a victim of all of that, and then later we were like, okay, but why would they have to stage a coup to get rid of you? What does that say about? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's add this guy. Let's yeah. add this guy to our staff. That sounds yeah. like a really good idea. <laughs> so anyway, so he came, and you were like, yes, at first. So he interpreted the situation with Glenn as like, oh, Glenn is just depressed and poor Glenn, he's just so tired and it's so hard that all these people are leaving because he spiritually abused them. And so (laughs) poor guy, let's just give him tons of, like he gave him like a sabbatical that was like, I think it was like nine months or something ridiculous, full-time salary. He worked like four hours a week doing administrative work. Okay, that is, okay, I do have to say that is just from what I understand, not the norm. Like from at least our church we come from, they didn't they didn't yeah. have sabbaticals until like five years ago. So to have and they were like a month or two or whatever. And I know it's like sabbaticals are normal in most churches. I think Gilbert was it, you would have a sabbatical for like really two two three months. Yeah, like oh. but you had to achieve a certain but never like not pastoral right. but like nine months. <laughs> no nine months. That's, That's that is prolonged. He had a sabbatical and then they called this like a structured break i think they had a different term for it oh okay okay, okay. Oh, calling, but it was all the same thing yeah. yes <laughs> adorable now this is a, a sabbatical lot. and yeah. then this is this is a parental leave uh-huh and then this is a mental health break uh-huh and then <laughs> so he got paid a lot of money <laughs> do nothing and he was supposed to just go and like get better and every time we would say no, he's not just depressed. He is disqualified. Look at all the people he's hurting. Look at all of this stuff. Sure. It got turned on and, us. And Tony would accuse us of being bitter and unmerciful. And so at one point he said, mm-hmm. <laughs> when we said, hey, he's disqualified, he said, you know, David said, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. 
as if that applies at all in this situation. Some, yeah, he's some fucking pope or something. Like he's got <laughs> the divine touch. I have never heard someone that has. That's insane. It is, dude. Mm-hmm. The stuff that yeah, you're sharing. Real. Like, yeah. what the fuck makes I our just experience like this is so next level. Like, this is crazy. It's insane. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. You win, Carrie. I know. For <laughs> My real. My prize is a lot of therapy. Yeah, exactly. Your prize is drama. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, after all of this, they kind of went back and forth. And by the, so, at this point, I think we've been there like maybe two years or something like that. And month internship has now been pushed to just indefinitely like there's nothing happening with his internship yeah and he gets pushed to the side because glenn needs so much help so eventually they just kept going back and forth and then finally glenn decides to step down and leave so he decided that on his own or kind of he decided he got i think he just got kind of fed up with the whole thing because tony just kept trying to like Mm. i i don't know i wasn't in those meetings yeah 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 I shouldn't speak to that, but yeah. yeah. So there was this church family meeting where they were going to announce that Glenn was leaving. So Tony got up in front of everybody and said, you know, Glenn is just really depressed and that's why he's leaving. There's no sin involved here. There's no conflict with Glenn among the leadership team. And, and he's done such a great job with this church. And he starts like telling this story of like how, Glenn righted the ship of the church and all of the stuff that he did. So let's, we're going to pray for him and everyone just surround him and give encouraging words to him and Rebecca. And it's not because of sin, which was a flat out lie. I, I mean, it's livid. Like, and this is where, like, for me, like the cracks started to show up, just like seeing a pastor brazenly lie to a church. I was like, I don't understand how you can do that. Like, you know that's oh, not true. And so those of us who were hurt by him, and there are a lot of us. Oh, sure. Are like, Absolutely. Seriously? <laughs> so what, what about you? What about us? I would say if I was in that family meeting, like we're just trash. Yeah. Well, you're selfish, so. Right. <laughs> so seeing a pastor, like just stand up and openly lie to the mm-hmm. dirt. Mm-hmm. Like just did something to me as far as like, oh, oh sure that's disturbing. Why do you like you don't have to actually have like basic morality that like I expected of my kids when they were two years old like that you mm. don't have to do that though right so mm-hmm. so we were gonna have a meeting because I wanted to talk to Tony about that and mm-hmm. and Pete was there at, at the church at this time too so mm-hmm. I talked to Pete and Pete and Betsy came over to our house like the night before we were gonna have this meeting and he coached mm-hmm. me how to talk to Tony and he said it's really important that he, that you're not teaching him. So when you tell him, when you point out the verses in the Bible that say that he did this wrong, you should say things like, I don't understand. Or can you help oh my me gosh. to dumb myself down? So uh, yeah, make you sound stupid. Yeah, my mind doesn't yeah. comprehend. Uh, yeah. yeah. Tell me what to think. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, okay. And still at the time, you know, I was like trying so hard to be respectful mm-hmm. and do things yeah. the right way. And I wrote up an outline and I prayed and prayed mm-hmm. and prayed. It was just like trying so hard. So we had this meeting where I pointed out again, first Timothy 520, like we were supposed to rebuke him, not lie. Mm-hmm. Him. And he was like, well, I 
don't think the church could handle the truth with what was really going on with Glenn. And there's more people that haven't been hurt by Glenn than people who were hurt by him. So I just felt like, yeah, he is just going to surrender to the non-victims and just the church can't handle it. His uh-huh. blind, loyal followers, yeah. basically. And so, like, so it's just, yeah. So then I pointed out, like, in Galatians, Paul openly rebukes Peter for not eating with the uncircumcised because it matters, and he's leading people astray. And again, it's just, it was not taken well. Like, I was seen as a usurper of his authority. I was seen as a threat oh to the church because I'm a woman who's coming with an open Bible saying, this isn't right. That's so crazy. Yeah. Well, and like, why do you even like, and I understand why you did it of just like, here's scripture to support my thought, but like, so I understand, like, I understand that, but also like, we're all fucking human beings. Like we can, why, why can't we just have a conversation of, Hey, this man hurt people. And like, do I really need like a million (laughs) scriptures to back up my case? Like he hurt people. Like these people are human beings that he like destroyed destroyed so like can we just like talk like human beings like why do i need five million scriptures to back up like obvious evil like that's just like my opinion about that the scripture didn't even matter though i think if they would just totally around of course like well that person had this issue and this person had whatever there's a million ways you can get around like oh totally but they're all saying the exact i mean kind of like with right right? all of us have stories that line up but for some reason he's not guilty and he's just a victim we all need to get Starbucks with him. <laughs> coffee solves everything, apparently. Some coffee and uh-huh. correction. <laughs> coffee and correction. Coffee and correction. Yeah. Segway. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Great segue. So, <laughs> that was some great <laughs> podcasting, Katie. Good job. <laughs> Good yeah. Job. I didn't even know. I mean, I'm following along in the outline, but I didn't even know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah really good segue. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> Right after this meeting, like, I think it was like the next day, uh, Tony's wife, Mary, invited me to lunch. And I should have known, we never just got lunch. Like, we would run errands together sometimes, but we never just, like, sat down to talk. So Ran errands um, together? Yeah. What? That's a thing. Okay, that's that weird. That wasn't a thing in the Texas church? You guys didn't, like, run errands together? No. No, we would have, like, yeah, like, it would have been, well, if we did, it would have been more, like, friends. So it would have, yeah, definitely not. Not to my knowledge, at least. Uh, Jessica, did you run any errands with, uh, no. with, with Tiffany? <laughs> no way. No, they didn't. They were all friends with each other, not me. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, yeah. They anyway, that that's so cool. interesting. Yeah. Oh, was that when she yeah. told you you guys needed to shop at Walmart at Target? <laughs> oh, no, no, that was Rebecca. Rebecca told me I needed to shop. Oh, oh, that's right. Okay. I need to be a good Not steward of the poverty level salary they were giving. Yes. <laughs> oh, no. Walmart, <laughs> Carrie, uh, don't you dare. Don't go to Target. Anyway, sorry. Um, so long. That was like my rebellion, too, because I would always go to Target. There was one right across our apartment, and that was like my little way of like. <laughs> to everybody <laughs> I'm going you are to- so oh rebe- what a Jezebel <laughs> oh my gosh totally so yeah. um, so Mary invited me to lunch and mm-hmm. I kind of knew I was guessing like okay I can see what's going on here Tony told right. me go with me because I'm a girl so he can't talk to me he's gonna send his wife to talk to me so uh-huh. I remember this distinctly we were going to Zoe's kitchen this restaurant Denver mm-hmm. we're walking in and she was like you know I just feel really sorry for you 
because <laughs> I know it was so hard for you to sit there in that meeting and listen to Tony be merciful to Gwen. Like, I know it's been mm. really hard for you to show mercy to Gwen. And so that must have just been really hard. And I said, no, it was hard for me because Tony lied to the church. And mercy mm-hmm. towards Glenn would be telling the truth and firing him. Mm-hmm. Like, that's mercy yeah. to him. It doesn't help him to keep being told that he's not doing anything. Mm-hmm. Right. And she it just, like, empowers. would not let it. Yeah, she didn't let it go. And so... He kept like kind of pressing and it was just like a back and forth. Like, and at this point I was kind of like, I'm done. Like I'm done Mm -hmm. trying to be whatever you guys want me to be. Mm -hmm. So so she, I eventually like broke down crying and was like, look, this keeps happening. I keep finding myself in these churches where pastors are spiritual. I mean, I wouldn't say spiritually abusive at that point. I didn't have that language yet, but Mm -hmm. these, like my pastors, I have seen over and over and over again hurting people Mm -hmm. and lying and doing this and this and this. And I'm just like crying, like opening up to her. And she asked Mm -hmm. me, what was the common denominator in all of that? And I was like, crappy pastors. And she shook her head and said, no, you were the common denominator. God was trying to teach you a lesson. He's obviously Mm -hmm. been trying to teach you this lesson and you just haven't learned it yet. And so he's going to keep putting you in these situations until you learn your lesson. It is so and that that's that's vile. Like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Of course. I, was, I just kind of like, so this is kind of the point in Denver where I think I started to just like shut down and just like, mm-hmm. okay. How long what point in the timeline is this? How long have you been there now? Um, this was maybe like three years. Okay. Okay. Into wow. an eighteen month internship. <laughs> <laughs> three years now. And I think yeah. too, like with pastors' wives in that world, they're kind of like, they speak with authority to Mm. other women in the church. It's almost like a counseling session when they talk to you, but they are not educated in any of the, like abuse dynamics of course, addiction or whatever, like anything that might come up with somebody, Mm -hmm. but they, they carry like the authority of like an actual licensed therapist and they discourage therapy. Yeah. So yeah. I just think that's an important thing to like point out. If this has of happened course, it wasn't absolutely. her. It's lots of pastor's wives that yeah. I've interacted with are mm-hmm. given the position that this license to. Yeah. Yeah. Did you get that from Betsy too? Yeah. So when Pete and Betsy came to the church, they are, I mean, you know, they are so nice and warm mm-hmm. and friendly. And- yeah. They're really, really good at love bombing. Like that is their specialty, mm-hmm. but it doesn't last. That's the thing is like, everyone's nice until you start asking the wrong questions. Yeah. The problem. Right. And then all of a sudden it changes. And so, um, so we started having regular meetings with them. This was maybe around three and a half years that we've been there. So Glenn's mm-hmm. gone. So it's like, okay, great. Now we're going to focus on finally on getting Keith ordained. Yeah. We're going to now like meet with you guys regularly and get the ball rolling on this. Keith ended up taking his ordination exams, passing them, but they didn't ordain him. So yeah. So around this time they were like, okay, Glenn's gone. We're going to focus on you guys. We're going to focus on getting the ball rolling with Keith. Mm-hmm. So we started having my regular meetings with Betsy. And Betsy and I really butted heads at one of these meetings because I was like, look, I think that women in the church, like I said before, like biblical womanhood is not enough for women who are suffering. I know women in this church that are really suffering and Mm. they need something 
deeper than just than what they're being given. Mm -hmm. And she was like, no, I think they need to be taught how to organize their kitchen. I mean, but have you seen Betsy's kitchen? It is very organized. So she might have a point. Sure, it's beautiful. But I was like, no, yeah, that's ridiculous. Issue here. And she was like, no, because when I was a young wife, I didn't know how to do my kitchen. And then Janice Shank came and showed me how to use Tupperware or something. I don't know. And I was, we're both looking at each other like, (laughs) are you serious? (laughs) We're speaking different languages, Betsy. I do not understand. What the fuck? We're talking about suffering and she's talking uh, about kitchens. kitchens. (laughs) So then, then the meetings got more and more intense. They were again, like telling the church, it's your job to evaluate Keith and Carrie's marriage and parenting. They never told us what was wrong with our marriage, but I suspect that I'm me and I have my own thoughts and opinions and Keith is fine with that and encourages that and is like a good man. And that's not allowed. So, um, no, gotta get you in line. So they, would ask like specific people what they thought about our marriage and parenting. And then they would come back with a report. Oh, they would go ask. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Oh, that didn't register the first time. What? Yeah. Like front desk lady. Yeah. Oh yeah. So they had like a list of like all of our failures that they would go over with us. And so like, you know, the church secretary saw one of my kids like being disrespectful to me, like after church on our way to the minivan, which you know, he's a boy who's tired and hungry and wants to go home. And so like any normal, healthy 10 year old boy, he's doing sure. that, you know, he's yeah. complaining, mm-hmm. whatever. but they were like, we really just want you to go back to these people who have these complaints, who have these issues or concerns and just really lean in and listen to them and ask them what you're not seeing. We were like, okay, no, like all of the examples they gave us were like, these are just normal things that kids do. Like, why are you sure? I don't know. And why would you open yourself up vulnerably yet again, like again and again, Mm -hmm. when that's totally taken advantage of by Betsy and Mary and turns into a spiritually abusive conversation? Mm -hmm. Like, no, thank you. I'm not like, yes, (laughs) I'm going to ask for more like, you know, harm to myself. Right. No, that's so abnormal. So it got more and more intense over time. And then there was, there was this one meeting that we had with them. And it's one of those things, like, I don't know if it's like this for you guys, like, where you just, like, I remember where I was sitting on the couch. I remember where they were. Mm -hmm. Like, I remember every detail of this. Yeah. And Betsy was telling me like, you know, I just never hear you say what a privilege it is to be a wife and a mother. And I'm like, I don't talk like that. None of my friends talk like that. Like, that's weird. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it is. Who does that? Yeah. That's what you're supposed to say, apparently. And then, so we were in an apartment for three and a half of those years, this tiny Mm -hmm. two-bedroom apartment. And I like made the balcony like my relaxing space because it was three and a half years of a family of five living in a tiny apartment. It was crazy. Sure. Um, yeah. I had made some comment about how like I was out there and my kids wanted to come out and I was like, no, this is my space. Like I need a break or something like that. Yeah. Called it's called boundaries. <laughs> and she thought that was super selfish. That was really bad that I did that. So she just kept going on and on and on. And it turned into a thing where I just felt like what I was hearing her say was you're a terrible mother. Mm-hmm. Your mm-hmm. kids are the way that they are because of you and you're doing everything wrong. And mm-hmm. you clearly, you don't love your kids, obviously. And I think it was after that, I started to go in a really, really dark place. Yeah. And I just yeah. 
like I can remember just being like just a shell of myself. And like, I believed them when they told me that I was a failure. And I believed them when they told me I was the downfall of my children. I believed them when they said that the hell they made for me was better than I deserved. And so then I believed that it would just be better for everyone if I was dead. Because, Mm. I mean, I believed them when they said that I was worthless. Well, when you hear it over and over. Often, yeah. yeah, Yeah. When you hear it often enough and you're conditioned to think of yourself less than and it's all this sin focused biblical counseling stuff Mm -hmm. like it would drive anyone to that Mm -hmm. point of despair and I'm so sorry Carrie that is so heartbreaking yeah well and I just like I mean I would just I remember like sitting in this chair that I'm sitting in right now Mm. for just hours and hours and just debating over and over again like would it be better for my kids if I'm alive but I'm I'm horrible and I'm ruining them or would it be better if I was just dead and like, which would be more traumatic for them having me as a mom or having me dead. And like, I couldn't make up my mind. I couldn't. And I, then I would just like convince my, like Keith could marry somebody who's better. Keith could find a better mom for our kids. The church would be better off because I'm such a threat. I'm such a feminist or whatever they call me. You know, everyone is better off without me. And I honestly believe if I, hadn't left sovereign grace, I would be alive right now. I would have, yeah, I would have um, gone through with it. And oh gosh. I just feel like that's where biblical womanhood takes you because you're never good mm-hmm. enough. You're never doing mm-hmm. it right enough. You're never these categories that mm-hmm. they put on you. And especially when you have kids who have their own mm-hmm. personalities and special mm-hmm. needs kids yeah. who yeah, issues. the mold. It's not yeah. a one. Never gonna yeah, this is so black and white. Yeah. And I was not like that. Like I, I've had times that I've struggled with depression before that, Mm -hmm. but I was never suicidal like that. I mean, I can look back at that and go, oh my gosh, that they drove me to that. That's absolutely criminal. Did they know? Did they know? Why well, do they know? I, that I that's... couldn't talk about it because I oh, sure. And I went back later and like mm. looked at my journals from this time, and I was just like sure. rating myself. Like I just need to abide yeah. in God's love more. I just Ugh. need to have more faith. I need to pray more. Like yeah. I was just beating myself up, and I knew that's what they totally do. Of just well, are you yeah. Bible? Are you praying? Are you whatever? Yeah. You need to pray away your depression and right. your trauma. You're That's not the only way you're going to heal. Yeah, you're not trusting the Lord. You need to lean into Him. This is a hard it's issue. Absolutely yeah, it it's is. absolutely criminal. It's absolutely criminal. I'm so sorry. The, the amount of spiritual damage that they cause, like, mm-hmm. absolutely criminal. I, I think that should be illegal. It was an open secret in that church that I would say most, if not all, of the women in that church were struggling with suicidal ideation. I've heard lots of stories because of, I mean, of course they were right. Like this is the climate. And so I want to tell my story because I think there's somebody else out there who thinks it's all your fault and it's not, Mm, it is not your fault when you aren't measuring up or when you're Mm. going into this place, not your fault. Right. So around that time, I just stopped going to church. Like my body would physically not let me get ready in the mornings on Sundays. Sure. It was like, my body was trying to keep me safe, which also got me in trouble because I wasn't showing up on Sundays. But at this point I was like, whatever, that's better than, than going. But then I thought I was sinning 
But, you know, like I remember like calling Keith and just like crying on his voicemail. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm not a good wife. I'm not showing up, yeah. whatever. And I mean, Keith never, ever made me feel like this. He was always pushing back on this of like, like stay home. I don't care. Like, yeah. let them judge. I don't care. <laughs> like, right. I right. want you to be okay. And he got in trouble a lot of times for pushing back against mm-hmm. them for me. And like, so eventually, I mean, it got to the point where they kind of told, they, they held out like, okay, Keith, here's your dream job you've wanted for all of these years. And you can have mm-hmm. it. You can live happily ever after in Denver. But what you have mm-hmm. to do is make your wife, like basically abuse your wife, like make her be what we want her to be. And they also wanted us, this is a whole other story. They wanted us to spank our kids for not standing during the worship time of church and not reading their Bibles and not praying because we don't require that of our kids. We want it to be their choice that they want to. Sure. And Pete and Betsy told us that they spanked their kids till, or I don't know, maybe it was just one of their sons till he was 14. That's crazy. (laughs) Yeah. So they held out like, okay, you can have your dream job if you just abuse your wife and children. And he's like, yeah, no, that's a hard, like, that's not even a question. Of course not. And I mean, I was one of the lucky ones because my husband was not also like buying into the patriarchy and all that kind of stuff. But so many of my friends and women in the church that I loved were like, their husbands were also part of it. And so, oh yeah. Well, and it just shows how much spiritual trauma from these pastors and these wives can be so pervasive. Even if your husband's not like that, like I would say the same thing for Adam. Adam was shocked when I would tell him like these stories with Charlotte and whatever. And he was like, oh my gosh, like what? And I'm like, yeah, but I believed it. Like what Carrie said, like you believe it in that environment, even if Adam or Keith was like, that's bullshit. You're like, yeah, but these women are telling me otherwise. Right. So, so I'm conditioned to believe in over three years, you know, exactly. Constantly with Carrie, like, you're like, mm-hmm. like, no, like this is, this is it. This is who I am. I'm right. terrible. I'm all this. Da, da, da. And it's like, even if your husband isn't an asshole, which mm-hmm. thank God Keith isn't, yeah. Yeah. but like, He's still, so nice. Still, I mean, I don't really so know nice. him, but we had one little talk, and I was like, "Oh, he's so nice." <laughs> he's so nice. Uh, he's yeah. a sweetie head. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It still can be traumatizing. Absolutely. Even still. So, what was the beginning of like the end for you? So that that's all. I mean, that seemed you know extremely dark and you know yeah. heartbreaking. Was that when like Keith, you know Keith Keith does the eh, hard pass? <laughs> Like not not doing right. that. Yeah, yeah. Hard pass it was on the like parenting thing. They would go back and forth about like they were concerned about how we were parenting our children because if they didn't feel like standing up during the singing time of church, we were like, okay, we're not going to go beat you in the bathroom because mm-hmm. that's you. Right. So that was concerning to that them. part. Like um, where you guys are like done. It doesn't seem like we're going forward. Okay, what had what was like, okay, now we're leaving. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. So Keith went, he took his ordination exams in Gilbert, he passed them. And then they were basically just like, okay, but we just need to figure out your parenting and whatever. And they went back and forth. Keith ended up writing this whole paper on like to support his position of why we don't spank our kids for these things or whatever. And they got really mad about that. And so they just kind of went back and forth over and over again. And Keith was just at a place where he was like, okay, look, I can't stay here. Like, I can't trust you guys. I can't follow. We're, yeah. we're done. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. So there was a church and then they like wanted him to go on a sabbatical and he's like, okay, but I'm, I'm quitting. Like I'm done. Yeah. That was a whole other thing that happened. So there was going to be the church family meeting where Keith was going to announce to the church that we were leaving. And that morning I woke up with hive all over my body, mm. like really, yeah. really itchy, horrible hive. Mm. And it lasted for six weeks. Like oh I could gosh. not sleep. I was yeah. staying awake, scratching and itching and going completely insane. Like, and later I realized like, oh, that's a panic attack. Like that's not yeah. normal. My body again. Were they yeah. constant or did it come yeah. and go? No. It was constant. Yeah. Insane. Oh my gosh. That's Your body awful. was reacting to the yeah. trauma. Yeah. yeah. Your body was like what you said before about not going to church. It was like, hello. <laughs> right. Warning signs. <laughs> Don't go. I'm trying to shut it all down and just be like, no, this is my fault. I'm just bad. I'm not doing what I should have enough faith, whatever. Right. And so my body is like screaming at me, like, please stop. <laughs> like, please mm-hmm. do. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah. And then they went away after we moved. So, um, oh, shocker. weird yeah. how that mm, was. Correlation. Much? <laughs> For real. Yeah. So then after we left Denver, we moved back to Arizona and then pretty, like pretty soon after my sister, um, was awesome. Oh, love her. Big fan of Jenny. Fan. Yes. Huge fan. I actually like, I didn't tell her a lot of stuff that was happening in Denver, which also is a huge red flag of like, Mm. I knew she was going to tell me like, oh, this is really bad. And I yeah. It was like, oh, I better hide that and not tell anyone. Did she that. go to the right. Gilbert church or she no, she's, she's not part of oh. She's never been in Sovereign. No, she's gotcha. like in normal she's, world and she was she's like, a normal person. <laughs> <laughs> help me. Like I'll, I'll tell her something that's like that's not normal. The rest of Oh my yeah. gosh, I love her for that. <laughs> I've had a few conversations with her and she's like, no. And I'm like, oh. Thank you, Jenny, normal person, <laughs> yeah. for having a normal conversation. She's totally. awesome. I'm so glad you had her, honestly. Yeah. So good. So she, oh, more and more then after we left, I started to open up. And she, yeah, again, she'd be like, mm, yeah, I don't, it's not healthy. Um, and then she convinced me finally to go to therapy. It took a while. Oh, like, oh, okay. You know, oh like, yeah. no, they're going to, I don't know what I was afraid of exactly, but I just was well, you're so conditioned well, yeah. that therapy is yeah. worldly and they're going right. to put all this voodoo in your head mm-hmm. and all you need is Jesus and the Bible. You don't yeah. need anything else. It's you're really just, daunting too. Even if you don't have yeah. that, like, I feel like yeah. it can oh, be true. very daunting oh, to start off. Oh yeah. But I think that's absolutely what, yeah, the situation, but yeah, I mean, it is, it's hard. That's <laughs> crazy. For sure. To be vulnerable in that totally. way. Yeah. yeah. So I did EMDR and somatic therapy to like help reprocess the trauma. And so what's somatic the, therapy? I've never heard of that. Um, gosh, I am not an expert. Isn't it like with body awareness? Yeah. Like body stuff. So like, we were sitting there talking about stuff and then I noticed like, Oh, I'm always like playing with my wedding ring when I talk about like traumatic stuff mm-hmm. and it's my body's way of telling my mind we're safe now we're married to Keith, Keith oh is a safe sure person. yeah yeah so stuff like that of like just using yeah mm-hmm. tools interesting that, I would tap my foot did you do it too Jessica I would tap my foot a lot in therapy I had similar yeah oh okay, okay similar with like body awareness stuff I would tap yeah. my foot a lot like in therapy hmm. and it's like are you do you feel like you're like wanting to run away and I'm like absolutely yeah I do. <laughs> 
interesting. You would not want to talk about yeah. this particular whatever. It's like a way of grounding too. So you would tell me sometimes, like if I was yes. it, like go up to a wall and just press your back up as hard as you can into the wall. And mm-hmm. it, it helps your body and your mind realize, oh, I'm here now. I'm not, because when you're in a yeah. panic attack or being re-traumatized, or mm-hmm. you're outside of your body, you're in that. Moment. Yes. And so it's a way of being like, no, no, I'm here now. I'm safe. It's okay. Yeah. I'm not that in that situation anymore. Right. So, right. um, really good. a lot of dramatic memories that I had from like specific, like, Oh, I remember the church family meeting where Pete is standing up there telling the church that they need to do evaluate our marriage and parenting. That was a big one. And then we used EMDR and I had like a breakthrough mm-hmm. of like, okay, I am, I'm okay. And after that it was fine. Like I could remember that and not be completely like triggered. So mm. I'm a yeah. huge fan. Up there. That's uh, great. Yeah. Especially if you are leading a cult. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you're and you're in in that environment, Carrie. You your vulnerability was taken advantage of. Yeah. And it, like spiritually manipulated to make you feel worse about yourself. And so when you open yourself in a vulnerable state in therapy with EMDR, because that shit is vulnerable as mm-hmm. fuck. Yeah. So like. And you're like, it, it is, it's hard to like, oh, I'm going to get in trouble or like, uh, this is going to, you're going to hurt me in some way. And it's like, no, man, like this is to help you like grow and like be grounded mm-hmm. and not feel so triggered and stuff. So yeah, like I could totally see like it being really helpful and like yeah. healing, like in that way when yeah. you're so conditioned that, well, vulnerability gets me in trouble. So like, yeah. why would I want to do that? Yeah, yeah and, like, totally. Healing from that. Well, and I think too, like it took me a long time to realize like, oh, there's nothing wrong with me. Like right. I told for right. so long, there's something wrong with you because mm-hmm. yeah. I have a sharp tongue and mm-hmm. I my thoughts and I can mm-hmm. be like snarky and sarcastic and whatever. And yet I do need yes. to be aware of some of the challenges that come along with that. I do need to like, I can't just say whatever I want all the time, obviously, but there's nothing wrong with those things inherently. And yeah. I think like the yeah. biblical womanhood of like, be a little dainty, whatever that like, I don't like crafts. I don't mm. excited about the container store or whatever. I don't think it's an interesting <laughs> conversation to talk about. Or no I'm not interested in that. I don't think that yeah. you know, I was never going to fit into the sovereign grace. I right. know woman mold. Mm-mm. And I Mm-mm. really did. I really did try. And I really <laughs> did believe, gosh, what's wrong with me that I can't just yeah. whatever. And, right. and then to realize, oh, there's nothing wrong. There's something wrong with yeah. and that teaching and expecting right. every single woman to look exactly the same. That's Stepford wife. That is not yes. mm-hmm. yeah. of God. Yeah. There's a movie about that. And they're a good movie. Yes. Spoiler. Yes. It's not normal. Yeah, it's not um, normal. It's not normal, and eventually those people break. Like even the yeah, Stepford wives, yeah. man. Eventually they're yeah. like, man, I don't like being caged anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, and right. yeah. yeah. And I think too, like, not only like is there nothing wrong with me, but like God made mm-hmm. me this way on purpose for a good reason. Yeah. The thing yeah. I get a lot is a lot of pushback on is when I speak out about sovereign grace now. A lot Mm -hmm. of people will say, like, well, first they'll say, obviously, I'm bitter and divisive. Those are the two favorites. Yes. You're bitter and divisive. Okay. So good. (laughs) 
divisive to truth, apparently. It's divisive to bring darkness into the light, except for that's not what the Bible said. The Bible says the opposite. Right. Whatever. We don't care what the yeah. Bible says, so. Yeah. But I think, too, a lot of people say, you know, just, you know, God's just going to take care of that. God's going to, you know, make it all right, mm-hmm. whatever. So just mm-hmm. stop talking about it. Right. And, right. Yeah. I've since learned, like, okay, if we're made in the image of God, which mm-hmm. is another thing we didn't talk about a lot. It was always, we're totally depraved. We would talk about our sinful nature, but we didn't talk yeah. much about like, no, we're created in God's image. So we're mm. good that God has. That is really true. Yeah. Very and true. If we're created in God's image, that means we're called to love what he loves and hate what he mm. loves. And we don't Absolutely. sit back and go, okay, God's just going to take care of justice. We partner with God in his good work of bringing justice about. And so, preach, Pastor Perry. <laughs> so, I stand up and I say, biblical womanhood is a lie. It is not biblical. And this abuse is happening in these churches. I don't think God is like, shut up. <laughs> like, stop, stop yeah. that. I think God is like, yeah. yes, thank you for joining me in the work that I am doing. And right. I don't know. So, yeah. What's the alternative? Not call out these corrupt institutions. Yeah. Like, yeah. didn't Jesus flip tables? <laughs> like, yes. Wasn't he just as pissed about that? Like, seems like they always forget that. No. Oh yeah. No, we don't. We gloss over yeah, that. We yeah, do, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, no. We yeah, want. It doesn't apply anymore. So, yeah. <laughs> not Christian. Ex- so exactly, not exactly. Oh my goodness. No, you are absolutely on the nose, man. You are right on. Okay, so you came back to Arizona, and you've been there since this. What has life looked like for you? Um, are you still in therapy right now? Yes. Keith and I are both in therapy. It's been really good. Um, awesome. It took me a long time in therapy to um, to realize that I was angry with God. And mm-hmm. That was always a big thing of... That was, there was one EMDR session where, you know, I'm having the thoughts and whatever, like kind of go by. And then I would have this thought I'm angry with God and I would shut down and like everything would just mm. shut down. I was like, Oh, something inside me thinks, no, no, we're not allowed to do, go there. <laughs> yeah. But I really did. I mean, I remember being in the Denver church and just praying and praying that like God would do something and like correct all of these problems. And I was thinking like, sure. I'm praying according to your will. So obviously you're going to do this. Why wouldn't you? Do that. Mm. And so I went through a, a time where I was just, it, mm. my therapist one time told me like, okay, your homework is you need to be angry at God. <laughs> like just <laughs> that. Okay. Right. Like well, let that emotion pass yeah. through. I and think I that's really good. There, but I needed to, I wasn't getting better because I wasn't letting myself like feel that and then process right. through it and then come out on the other side. And so- right. Um, yeah, there was a lot of that. There was a time that I was just like, I'm done with all of this. I want it. Get mm. I don't believe in anything anymore. Like I'm just done. Right. With thing. Yeah. And totally. that was another like necessary step that I needed to experience on my stay there, but I yeah. needed to feel that for a time. Yeah. Yeah. So eventually so Keith and I don't go to church now. We, mm-hmm. we eventually just kind of left church and we're like, we just need some time to not mm-hmm. be yes. in church. And mm-hmm. we started yeah. taking Sunday mornings. This was my favorite thing. We started taking Sunday mornings, go to Starbucks, and we were like, okay, forget everything we've ever been taught. Throw everything like, yes. Like, so we started Love reading it. through the book of John. And we're like, okay, 
who is Jesus actually? Like no one else mm. telling us, but just for ourselves yeah. figuring this out. What does the Bible actually say? And it was so good. It was so different than what I was taught. The Jesus that I was reading about in mm-hmm. the of John is not the Jesus that Sovereign Grace taught me about. It looked totally mm-hmm. different. So there's um, this chapter in the Bible. I never heard anyone teach on it ever in the church. I found it kind mm-hmm. of on my own, but it's Ezekiel 34. And yes. Has, and I want to say too, like, I know for a lot of people that have left Sovereign Grace, I know we're all in different places on this stuff. So this isn't like, I'm not trying to evangelize anyone or mm-hmm. whatever. Like, yeah. it sucks because yeah. the Bible has been weaponized for a lot of people. So absolutely. Like, one of my friends is like, I'm never going to pick up the Bible again. I'm like, of course, why would you? I totally get it. Like, <laughs> I, I don't doubt it at all. Yeah. Yeah. For me, when it's caused it has, that much damage. Yeah. yeah. But totally. for me, it's been life-saving to see these things. So this chapter in Ezekiel 34 talks about the shepherds of Israel. And I know it's like Old Testament, but I don't think it's a coincidence that pastors are later in the New Testament called shepherds. So Mm -hmm. read this part, like this has been like my favorite thing. It's kind of long. I remember you sharing this with me a few years ago and I was like, oh, damn, that's really good. (laughs) I know it's the Bible because pastors didn't tell us. (laughs) <laughs> no, of course not. They're like, ah, shut that <laughs> So it says, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat one, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the straight you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness, you have ruled them. Therefore, mm. you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, since there was no shepherd, and because my shepherds have not searched for the sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherd. And I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer mm-hmm. shall my she- shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouth that they may not be food for them. For thus says mm-hmm. the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue mm-hmm. them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. Mm. I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I love this part of the Bible because it's like God is saying, I see everything. Mm-hmm. I see all of it. I see the parts that he talks about, and I see mm-hmm. the people who have never said what happened to them. I see all of it, and I hate it. And mm-hmm. when he says he is against the shepherds and will require the sheep at their hand 
It's like, okay, they might be getting away with it now, but he will hold them accountable. Like it drives me crazy how there's just no accountability for these guys, but yeah. And what I don't hear is, is loyalty to the institution. Like I don't hear loyalty to the shepherd. I hear these are my people. Like you're not going to fuck with my people. Yeah. And so that's also like, not what's going on in sovereign grace either. It mm-hmm. is loyalty to the shepherd mm-hmm. and not to the sheep. And it's damaging. And the the voices that are speaking out need to be heard. And these people that are in these churches that have been spiritually abused by these motherfuckers, like mm-hmm. like what you're like what that passage is talking about of like that's not okay, man. Like yeah. he's against the shepherd. He's not against the sheep. I'd be like quivering in my boots if I was a pastor in those churches. Like I would be like, holy shit, I need to get things right. Well, and I think too, like for a while, I just felt really uncomfortable with not being part of a church community. And I think I Mm -hmm. I think I eventually will end up at a church. I'm not saying like I'm done with church forever, but, Mm -hmm. and you know, like when (laughs) there's a lot of Christians that are super, super, super uncomfortable with you not being in church. And so they kind of are like frantically <laughs> trying to get you, so, you know, like just, yeah. but not all church. Cause that's where you find healing. I know. Yeah. Like, and it's like, okay, just stop. But I think too, like, <laughs> I just felt so like I'm doing something wrong by not being in a church. Recently, I was looking at that going like, what if that was God pulling me out? And when he says like, I will rescue my sheep from them. Mm-hmm. They can't eat them anymore. What if that was God saying, I'm pulling you out and then I will be your shepherd. So then that goes into, in John 10, when Jesus says, he's the good shepherd, he, he like the sheep hear his voice and he calls his sheep by name and leads them out. And then it says a stranger, they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of stranger. So Jesus assumes if a shepherd doesn't sound like the good shepherd, you run away. You don't stay. Yeah. That guy's a threat and you run away. Like they right. don't have authority over you if they don't sound like Jesus. And so yeah, that was really yeah. freeing for me too, to be like, I'm not sinning by running away from somebody who's mm-hmm. the opposite. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. When he says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I just see it. You know, it's like when he says, look at the fruit and then you'll know like what kind of tree it is. It's you look yeah. at the fruit of sovereign grace. You look at the fruit mm-hmm. of biblical womanhood mm-hmm. and it's like, this is stealing and killing and destroying people. Right. It can't be this. This cannot be right. biblical if it is destroying people. If Jesus came to give us life mm-hmm. and give it abundantly, then mm-hmm. what they are handing us did not come from Jesus and did not come from Absolutely. at all. So right. there's one last thing. So John 10, I didn't realize John 10, like the context of that was right after Jesus heals the blind man, um, that he launches into that whole thing about like being the good shepherd. And when Keith and I were studying John 9, it just hit me. I've heard the story so many times, but it didn't occur to me of like, the blind man is outside of the temple because he's not allowed inside. He's not like whole. He's, you know, there's something wrong with him. So he has to stay outside. And then Jesus comes and heals him and says, it's not because he sinned. It's so that the work of God might be displayed in him and he heals him. And then he, and then all of the religious leaders are questioning him and like gaslighting him. And like, I don't think it, you really were blind and this and that. And like, well, what do you think about like, who do you say this guy is? And just like attacking him. And he kind of gets like sassy with them and is like, 
why are you asking me? Like, do you want to be Jesus's disciples? And they're like, how dare you? We're disciples of Moses, whatever. And so they cast him out. They like, just get sick of him and they cast him out, which if you're this guy, you're like, I was never in, like, you can't cast me out when you didn't want me in the first place. And then it says, Jesus went and found him after, after Jesus heard that they cast him out, he went and found him. And he's like, look, you're healed. He's rejoicing with this guy and is happy for him, but it's outside of the institution. He doesn't go Mm. back into the institution and say, come back in here. This is where we have to, this is where the healing happens. This is where we go. Right. It doesn't matter. He's just like, I love you. I healed you. And then, and then shows, reveals to him that he's the Messiah. And so I don't know. It just changed my view of all of this. Like, Mm -hmm. Healing can happen outside of the institution. Healing often does happen outside of the institution. And sure. the institutions sure. in Jesus's day, he was always, you know, he was healing on the Sabbath. He was breaking all of their rules. He wasn't telling, he wasn't pushing people into the institution. He was caring for people. And so mm-hmm. right. Right. how much Sovereign Grace cares about protecting their image and Right. Protecting the institution and right. people are just expendable. You know, people don't right. matter then. It's right. Such a contrast to what I see in the Bible and what I see with Jesus. And so. Sure. Sure. The stuff where I'm like, I can't, I still love Jesus. I still love mm-hmm. the Bible. Like, sure. I can't, mm-hmm. I don't know. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I know there's pushback with like, but the church or whatever. I think what we've experienced is not church. This is a cult. Oh, totally. Yeah. I do have one question. If you could say anything to the pastors or the pastor's wives, would you have anything you want to say? I guess I'm thinking more about like the women who were like fake counseling you. Yeah, I would say you need to stop counseling people. You need to stop speaking with authority into people's lives. Oh man, there's so much I would say. I I think open your eyes to what is right in front of you. Because there are so many women in that church that are suffering and that are just trying to, they're in survival mode. They are, you know, when you're in that world, there's a lot of them that are married to horrible men and they're just doing what they think they need to do. And so I think, I mean, I don't know. I just, I would say stop, shut down your church and go to therapy. That's what I would say. No way. No way and work on yourself. No, I think that's stop. good. Yeah. Stop talking. Yeah. Stop talking. Lydia. Lydia. <laughs> Yeah, reckon with the damage that you've caused and go to therapy. Goodness gracious. But um, yeah, anyways, thank you so much for coming on. Your voice adds to the, you know, I'm sure multitude of experiences in that church. And I I know that there you're not alone in that experience and they're not. So, but thank you so much for coming on and being vulnerable. Well, yeah, I agree. Thank you so much for coming on. It's I know it's difficult and I really appreciate you being vulnerable and sharing with us and everyone what you've been through. Thank you guys.